Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don, and I'm here with my peripatetic co-host, Sam. Peripatetic. Yeah. I'm not sure if I should be offended or what. Hi, y'all. I'm Sam. <laughs> hey, Sam. That's uh, someone who travels a lot. Oh. Yeah, okay. I'll take that. You've like been that. rolling. You've I been have rolling. been rolling. Rolling down the coast. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Keep them doggies rolling. Rawhide. This is the important part. Don't try to understand them. Rope them, time, brand them. Well, I don't know in your case, Sam. I don't know if we ought to go there. Oh. <laughs> that was the other, the earlier trip. <laughs> Sam, you're turning a little red, I think. So, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. so tell me, Sam, did you get to any meetings? Uh, in, you were in Florida. Yeah, we went to uh, Key Largo. Um, as we mentioned in the OMG, it's here again, holiday special. Uh, Greg and I took the RV down to uh, Key Largo. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that was such a fun time. I mean, it was first time I'd ever been in an RV and, uh, and for also first time to Key Largo. And so we rented some bicycles while, we're, while we were there. And uh, there was a clubhouse about, I don't know, 10 miles away uh, that we rode to and circled around the block trying to find this thing. It was like nestled in the midst of a, a, a clearing in the midst of the woods. It was, a, it was anonymous, huh? It totally was, yeah. <laughs> uh, called the Rusk Club, R-U-S-K. Probably named after someone. No. No. Recovery Unity Service of the Keys. Wow. wow. Isn't that cool? Neat. Uh, and, so, uh, and so we showed up there about mm, 4 o'clock the, in that afternoon on Christmas Day. And there were some people sitting outside at a picnic table. And, uh, and they were like, hey, are you hungry? And she sent us, and turned out she was on the board of the club. She sent us, clubs are separate from AA, y'all. Uh, and, <laughs> and she um, said, go inside and eat. And so we went in and filled up some some plates and totally pigged out and sat down with them and enjoyed that and stuck around for a five thirty meeting and there was about ten people of it uh, there for that. That's a pretty good crowd. And uh, and it was just a really cool experience of just kind of like being with your people and right. uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed that and uh, and really nice clubhouse too. It was super cool. Um, I'm glad we went. That's great. Yeah, it's, and I love going to meetings when I travel. Anyway, you know that. That's right. Me too. You, me you, too. That's where you discover what is, what is important. <laughs> the things that are different from your local meeting are the things that aren't important about recovery. The things that are all the same—that's the important stuff. Yeah, and it helps to figure that out. I heard someone talking over there. Peep 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 peep. <gasps> oh, there is someone over we there. We have a guest. Hey, Roberta. Hi. Introduce, Welcome. Introduce myself? Yeah, introduce yourself. Absolutely. My name is Roberta, and um, I'm delighted to be here. We're thrilled to have you. Yeah. Glad yeah. Very delighted to be here. So uh, when did you get sober? I got sober a long time ago. I got sober um, August 17th, 1986 in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, cool. 
All right. Yeah, I'm a Brooklyn girl. Um, born and raised in Brooklyn, lived there most of my life. I lived in Lehigh Valley for a little while in a little village called Fogelsville and relocated down here to North Carolina after retirement four and a half years ago. Oh, okay. So you haven't been around here for too terribly long. No, I haven't been around here for too terribly long. But being the good AA I am, I moved down here and got involved immediately. You jumped right in. I have to. That's how I stay sober a day at a time. Uh, So now what was the year? 80... 86. 86. Do you remember drinking? <laughs> <laughs> like it was yesterday. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. It's funny yes, how that happened. I do remember. 32 years ago, I remember very, very well. I was working. I was going to school. I had a 10-year-old daughter. I was divorced. And I was miserable. Actually, I wasn't working because I got fired. Um mm-hmm which drove me into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I knew I was an alcoholic, but I could afford to drink, so I continued to drink. You, so you had a family. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. had you heard of AA? Um, no. I need to be honest. So how did you, you find it? <laughs> My neighbor. Um, I used to have a really, really good neighbor and um, she had just started going to meetings, and she saw me, and um, I was coming home from our local neighborhood bar. I lived down in Brooklyn Heights, and, and um, I told her I had gotten fired, and I was crying, you know, and <laughs> she went home, got a meeting book, brought it over, and suggested that I try it, and I did. Were you, what was going on with you uh, that made you willing to go to this AA thing? I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. My daughter, just to give you a little background, my daughter at 10 years old made the perfect vodka and tonic. And she did that because she knew that was a way to settle me down. I knew it was time for me to do something about my drinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you did you try to quit on your own? I used to. I did try to quit on my own several times, and I was miserable. And all I would do would be to scream. I just yelled all the time. I yelled at her. I yelled in the office. So whenever I tried, it would only last for a couple of weeks, and then I'd go right back to what I knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When when drinking, when I was drinking, and when I tried to quit. It was like I didn't associate that the fact that I was getting more and more irritable was the fact that I wasn't drinking. <laughs> I mean, I, I would just, everything would drive me insane. And eventually I had to drink again because I tried to quit drinking many times before I quit the last time before I came to AA. And it's, I don't know, it was just news once I got sober to discover that that is what I'm drinking at, I I just thought everything was bothering me. And then finally, I'd just break and get drunk. I couldn't even see that it was like building up to me drinking again. I had no idea you know? what was going on. My dad was a drinker. He was a weekend warrior. Uh, but other than that, alcoholism, I never even thought about it, especially not as a disease. 
I had never had any knowledge. Um, But once I came into the rooms and started to clear up and started to listen, I realized I had a disease. It's a disease, right? The, the, before coming to AA, I felt like alcohol is the one thing that's holding me together. Yes. That was, was the, the glue. Solution. That yeah. was my glue. And exactly. Absolutely. It yeah. was the solution. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it was the glue. You know, I could get up in the morning. I could get my daughter ready for school. I could go to work. She could go to school. And what I would do would be Monday morning, I would go into the office and I would set up my lunch appointments for the week. I worked in uh, the insurance industry in corporate America on Wall Street. I would set up my lunch appointments for the week because it was a free drunk. So every day by 12.15, I was drunk. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'd make it back to the office and... Sometimes I'd spend the afternoon at the bar in the restaurant. It just, there was no telling what Mm -hmm. was going to happen. Unpredictable. It definitely was. But I did realize that I had to go home and take care of my daughter. And I call myself doing that well. We lived well. We had what we needed. But except for... That's sobriety. Except, except for the fact that she was your bartender. She was. Drinks, well, yeah. Yeah. That, that term yeah. of functional alcoholic. I was. I was fun, definitely yeah. a, a functional alcoholic. I wouldn't call her a bartender. No. She just did what she needed to do to keep mommy happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what a child does. Yeah. Yeah. So how long did you drink alcoholically? Did you did you have a long drinking career? Or? Um, I started drinking when I was 16. And I stopped... When I was 38, so we're talking 22 years of progressive alcoholism. I started off drinking at um, community center parties on the weekend, um, sneaking and drinking (laughs) chilled wine, you know, Uh uh, real cheap rock gut. We would. <laughs> it doesn't matter when you're that young. Yeah, though, right? it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. We would pool our pennies and get one of the local bums to go and get us chilled Thunderbird or chilled Twister or chilled Wild Irish Road. That's all right. That's how it all <laughs> first, started. First. <laughs> I used to drink Wild Irish Rose and Thunderbird mm-hmm. and Orange Driver. Did you ever have no, orange? No, I didn't have orange. I don't know driver. if that was local to here. Yeah, but yeah. this is that uh, fortified <laughs> wine that would blow the top of your head off. Exactly. Now you're the first person to mention, I think, on the podcast, the uh, Richard's Wild Irish Rose. Oh yeah. And I remember growing up in Graham, riding bikes in the neighborhood with my cousin, and we would like we would explore all over. And just finding like the empty bottles in the ditches and stuff of Richard's Wild Irish yep. Rose. It was, it was cheap. <laughs> it was cheap and fit in your pocket. I used to hang out on the railroad tracks and pretend like I was an alcoholic. Not <laughs> pretending, hon. And uh, <laughs> totally not pretending. I was talking with a, a guy there, a wino, which I had this beautiful idea of these wine winos, and it's an I like life, yeah, right? It's a, it was attractive to me, and uh, I was hanging hanging out, and he called it the little man. And so I, m- me and my friends always called 
a small bottle of uh, fortified wine, the little man. Let's go get a little man. Huh. Very romantic idea of what drinking was. Didn't turn out that way. So how did it happen for you, Roberta, that it that this thing that was the one thing holding you together become a problem that you needed to you needed to ask someone else how do I quit this actually I knew I was an alcoholic for a while Mm -hmm. because by 12 o'clock I had to go someplace and and get a drink um like I said fortunately enough my career allowed me to drink Mm -hmm. every day at lunchtime it's acceptable uh it was quite acceptable back then to go out and get drunk at lunchtime. Um, so I just drank. It, it was what I did. And then when I came home, I continued, and I would pass out and get up the next day and do the same thing. And on the weekends, we were active, we being my daughter and I. We would go to plays. We would go to shows. Living in New York, we could go to a lot of different activities. They had a lot of different cultural activities. Um And there was always a bar, so I could always get drunk, you know. Um, Didn't do a lot of driving because I had public transportation. What'd you do with her if you went to the bar? Um, She would sit and watch whatever theatrical performance or whatever show we had gone to see. She would sit and watch it, and I would go and get a drink. We never went just the two of us. It was always with one of her girlfriends. I had to make sure... That she had company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I knew for a while that I needed to stop drinking, but I did not want to. I felt that it was my reward. Oh, yeah. For being that single parent, for working, for going to school, for giving this child whatever she needed and wanted. If I wanted to get drunk, that was my business. I wasn't hurting anybody. But when my boss called me in and told me he was going to have to let me go because I had made a disaster of one of his biggest accounts, that was my wake-up call. And like the good drunk I was, I left the office. I went to the bar. They knew what I drank, Stoli and Tonic. Uh, They filled me up. I went home. Uh, And like I said, I ran into my neighbor. She told me how to find help. I didn't ask her for help. She gave me a meeting book. In New York, the meeting list is, it's a book. Yeah, there's lots of It's it's a book. It's a book. So I opened the book, and um, I found this meeting on Perry Street down in Greenwich Village, and... I got all dressed up, I'll never forget, in a blue jumpsuit and made up my face and went to Perry Street to the meeting. And and back then, a new, I don't know, they knew me. As soon as I walked in the door, they knew I was a newcomer. Yeah. And they told me to sit up front. I still sit in the first row when I go to a meeting. They told me, sit up front. And there came a point when they asked if there was anybody new. I raised my hand. I said, I'm Roberta. I'm an alcoholic. And I started crying. And that was the day that I surrendered. I was one of the lucky ones. That was the day I surrendered. They assigned me a temporary sponsor. 
I was told to make 90 meetings in 90 days. I had to call this woman every single day. Her name was Gail. They made me accountable. They gave me Living Sober. Mm -hmm. The book. The book. The book. Good book. Excellent book. Uh, A real easy read. Of course, it took me a week to be able to sit down and really read and understand. And I made meetings every single day. My daughter went to school. I made meetings. I sat on my hands to keep from shaking. Did I smoked you, did you cigarettes. Quit work? I had gotten fired. You got fired. So you were, you could devote yourself to this. I could devote myself to getting sober. There's I could a gift devote myself. Oh, God was taking care of me. My higher power has always been with me. Mm. Um, there is no doubt in my mind that I did not do this myself. You know, um, it's amazing how that happens. When, when I came to AA, I was feeling like I needed to work. And I think it was like my second day. I'm a house painter and I was, had gone to a job and I was like angry and like brushing real hard and hitting the walls. And like, what is the matter with me? I couldn't figure it out. And well, of course I wanted to drink was what the matter was. And I was going, maybe I need to go to one of those AA meetings. They say, go to an AA meeting. If you, if, if you're at all squirrely. So I got out a, a list and there was a meeting close by and I went to that meeting. It was, it turned out to be a, a women's meeting that met at 10 30 in the morning, but they welcomed me in. I, I, I was falling apart and you and I got through it and all my business kind of fell off for about three months and then it started picking back up again. And for three months I've, I went to two meetings a day, but I'm curious why. So you went to Greenwich village and you're living in Brooklyn. I didn't want anybody to see me. (laughs) That's almost like going out of town. I don't I mind if everybody knows I got a drinking problem, listen, but don't let listen. them not doubt it. I'm trying to fix it. <laughs> I did not want anybody in my neighborhood to know that I was a drunk, but everybody knew. Everybody right, knew. Right. You know, it's like I lived <laughs> in a complex right off of the Brooklyn Bridge, and it was a fort during the turn of the century, and the steps were on the outside. So for me to get to my apartment, I had to walk up these steps, which were on the outside. I would fall up the steps. I wouldn't walk up those steps. And I had a neighbor that used to come out and help me up the steps sometimes. Um, Your neighbor knew. Yeah, yeah, his name was Eric. God bless him. Yes, he knew. He knew sometimes I couldn't get the gate open, and I'd be downstairs kicking the gate. Um, So you had uh, a community. What happens when you go to meetings is you find this community of drunks there, and you said you got a sponsor and and mm -hmm. were going to meetings every day. So did your community develop around that? I'm curious how it works in New York. Did it develop around that meeting in Greenwich Village, or was it larger and included all of Brooklyn too, or and did you start going to meetings in Brooklyn? What, what I immediately started going to meetings in Brooklyn. Good. You know, I opened up a meeting book and I found the Blue Door. I found Living with Gratitude. I found uh, New Beginnings. Plenty and of I, meetings. I also found the Friends Meeting House, 
which is where Bill moved the meeting once they moved it out of his house on Clinton Street. I lived in the same neighborhood that Bill W and Lois lived. Oh, cool. Yes. The founders of AA. That's right. And I went they to were meetings. In Brooklyn? They were in Brooklyn Heights where I lived. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I found... Can I lay hands on you and see if I can get, <laughs> hey, hey, get her off that pedestal? <laughs> Not at all. I'm just a common drunk. A common drunk. And I will never forget it. Those that forget are doomed to That's repeat. That's right. It's true. Um, but yeah, I found a neighborhood. I found a community. There were a bunch of us that... Oh my gosh. There were a bunch of us that used to hang out together. Uh, newcomers. And we took care of each other. Um, that first Christmas, I took three people home with me to my mom and dad's house oh, wow. um, for Christmas. You know, I have three sisters, and uh, we were always bringing people home. But I brought three people home with me, and, and we looked out for each other. That was another way uh, that we stayed sober. If somebody didn't show up at a meeting that we usually all went to together— you got a telephone call, you know. We went out for coffee and to eat. We did everything together. They kept me sober. And when I came in, AIDS was running rampant. And if somebody came into the meeting and said that they were HIV, we knew that they were going to be gone within a year to six months. I lost a lot of people that I really loved and cared about, uh, men and women. But I stayed sober. You know, I, I stayed sober. We all stayed sober. When I think about it, it it makes me sad, you know. Yeah, that was yeah. a tough time. It was a real, 1986 through, I'd say, 1990, it was an extremely tough time. Mm-hmm. In New, and I'm sure all over the country, but especially in New York City, you know, it was pretty rough for us. It was. So... You got involved. I'm thinking of like somebody listening to this is like going, I wonder if I should go to an AA meeting. What what did you discover happened at that meeting? What what would you say to that person? I belonged. Cuz I hear you talking about a community of yeah, friends. Yeah, I be I be I belonged. You know, um I embrace newcomers. Even today, if I see somebody come in my home group that I've never seen before, for me, that's the most important person in that room. You know, I cannot let them leave that room without letting them know that they're not alone and they don't have to be alone anymore and um, they don't have to drink anymore. Uh, So anybody that's out there that's having second thoughts, don't. I have a marvelous, marvelous life. You said that once you got sober, your business picked up. Once I got sober, I ruled the commercial casualty insurance business <laughs> on Wall Street. That was your field. You went that back was, into it. I went right back into it. With, a, with clarity now with, instead of... <laughs> with <laughs> clarity. <laughs> with clarity. I no longer did my business on... Napkins at the bar. I was a lady. I did them on paper. (laughs) (laughs) And then I moved on to the computer. So, yeah, 
Well, what, okay, so what about the steps? Did you work the steps early on? You know what? I'm old school, and the first year, one, two, three, it was like a dance. You know, in fact, we say, do the dance. Do the dance. Um, and that's what I tell my sponsees today. I, um, Gail was my temporary sponsor. I found a sponsor. His name was Ronnie Bates. I will say his whole name because he's no longer with us. And Ronnie was my sponsor for the first three years, and he was sick. And when he could no longer talk to me, his partner would answer the phone and talk to me. His name was Boyce Benj, and he was my sponsor for 29 years. He just passed away a couple of years ago. That's beautiful. And I went through the steps with So what's the dance? The the one, two, three dance is I can't, he can, if I let him. Mm -hmm. You know? I will not drink. It's insanity if I think I can drink. The same thing is going to happen. And if I let my higher power, he's going to take care of me. After that, I feel safe. I can tell you about myself in that fourth step. I can get honest, and I can tell you everything because I have a higher power that loves me no matter what. I have a community that loves me no matter what. Uh, there are no secrets. How did you How did you have a problem with a higher power? Did you immediately experience something? Oh, I'm Afro-American. I grew up in New York, in Brooklyn. I went to church every Sunday. Mm. Even if I partied all Saturday night, my mother made me get up. And- <laughs> <laughs> you better be <laughs> in that like, church. get out, you know? Um, so, yeah, there was always a higher power in my life. Once I started drinking, I moved away from my higher power because I wasn't living right, and mm. I was ashamed. Yep. Yeah, so once I got sober, I need to say, when I got sober, that's when I really embraced a God of my understanding. As it says in the big book, that's when I found a true God of my understanding. And when I look back, I knew that he was always there. You know, um, I he hadn't forsaken me. I had forsaken him because alcohol had become my God. Nothing could stand between me and my bottle. Um, Yeah, so I didn't have as much of a problem with higher power as I see other people have. Uh, And for that, I am grateful. Mm -hmm. I am truly, truly grateful. Yeah. That's great. That's cool. So you've been sober for decades now. (laughs) decades 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 um there have got to be some like incredible highlights over those these 30 some years absolutely and i promise i won't cry oh come on cry for us all right all right (laughs) you're making me cry already i mean (laughs) i don't um uh you don't cry you don't care no i don't care if you cry go ahead and cry yeah because yeah this is real stuff yeah it is it Mm. is um, I celebrated my, I used to go on a sober retreat every 90 days in New Jersey. There was a group of us that, it was about 100 of us. And every 90 days we would get together at um, St. Elizabeth College Xavier Center, 
men and women in sobriety from New York and New Jersey, and we would celebrate together every 90 days. And I had just celebrated my uh, 15th anniversary, um, 2001. I was 15 years sober. I was on a cloud. I came back from the retreat. At the time, I was living in Lehigh Valley. I was working at the World Trade Center. Every morning, I would get up. I would meet Boyce at a meeting. And this Tuesday morning, I got up, and I met Boyce at the meeting. I left the meeting. I went upstairs. I had just started a new job, and I was sitting in my boss's office, and he had just assigned me Starbucks. Starbucks was fairly new then, and he had assigned me that account. And uh, we were on the 32nd floor, and the building shook, and then it rattled, and then paper started flying, and I started yelling, they've done it again, and they had done it again. And the first plane had gone into the building. You were in the building. I was in the building. Wow. And that is higher power. Anybody that knows me knows I do not, I do not give anything or anybody any credit for me still being alive except my higher power. That was God. That was God. I lost 27 coworkers that day. Hmm. Um, it took me a while to remember. And my daughter was a couple of blocks away working, and all I could think about was I got to get to my kid. I got to get to my kid. Um so yeah, that that was a highlight. That mm -hmm. was, and I didn't drink. And I wanted to get drunk. I wanted to get fucked up. I wanted not to hear and see and feel. And here again, my community, they would pick me up at the bus. When I got off the bus, my sponsor would take me to a meeting. I would go to work. My sponsor would come and take me to a meeting at lunchtime. I would get on a bus, go home, and I had to call my sponsor or another recovering person as soon as I got in the house. It was like a newcomer all over again. I had to be responsible. Um, yeah, but you, but you were embraced by the community uh, that you had. They took care of me. They took care of me. They really, really did. They took care of me. Alcoholics Anonymous saved my life more than one time. I, You know, I could see how a person could come to a different conclusion rather than my higher power saved my life to, to be resentful and filled with anger. It's, it's easy to do. I, I know I struggled with that when my brother was ill from cancer and, to, and he died over a long period of time and I helped take care of him. And I, um, I, was, I was very angry at God after that for a while and couldn't uh, even pray except, except I had a, a friend in AA who said, God doesn't care if you're angry. Just go ahead and be angry. Pray angry. Be pray. Start exactly where you are. And 
So all I would I would ask God to keep me sober every day because I wasn't willing to give that up because that had always worked for me. But it took a while before I was able to look back and see that I was supported by all the people in AA during that whole time. I was I showed up and was there for my brother the whole time. And and I was doing things that I couldn't do. That I, and when I was drinking, you can bet I wouldn't have been there. I would have been in the bar, and that wasn't the case. I was there for him the whole time. So I feel like I was carried by my higher power and by the fellowship of AA who surrounded me and supported me during that. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. For me, my higher power pushes me. My higher power carries me. You know, there's a poem called Footprints. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, when you only saw one set of footprints, I was carrying you. And so many times my higher power has carried me. When 9-11 was over, I was a mess. I had survivor's guilt. I, I was a wreck. I was just in New York, and my daughter and I were on the express bus, and we had to go past the new world trade. I cannot look. I cry. Mm -hmm. I cannot. Sure, I can't it do it, it. I can't do it, you know? But um, once I got past the survivor's guilt, I knew that God was taking care of me. And God works through people. You know, I'm not spooky. I'm not, you know, this swoo God. It's like God works through people. My mom, Alzheimer's. I started mourning my mom as soon as the doctor told me, your mother has the beginning of Alzheimer's. And it was a five-year stretch. It was, God worked through people. The people in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous they took care of me while I took care of my mom. And supported you to give you the strength to continue. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's my yeah. Yeah. That's the understanding. You talk about your brother. We hate to see people we love in pain mm -hmm. and suffering, you know, but I've come to the understanding that I can't be selfish, you know, um, when my mom left, I was ready because it was her time, you know? I had her till she was 90. I had my dad till he was 96. Wow. How could I deny God these people, you know? It was their time to be with him. That's how I felt. Um, we don't escape it. Nah. <laughs> death, death See, exists. this is it. It's a part of life. Yeah. And I say that. Death is a part of life. I'm not homesick. I'm not ready to go. I'm not, you know, it's like I'm happy here. Again, I'm happy, joyous, and free because of Alcoholics <laughs> Anonymous. It all goes back to Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm just grateful for this program. Yeah, it's uh, that's beautiful. So what's your life like now? What's your recovery like now? My recovery now is giving back. Do, I, do you still have to do morning prayer? 
every morning. <laughs> have to. Have, yeah, yeah, that's the only way I can function. But, I it, get, but is it, well, I guess what I'm, point I'm making there, is it a have to or I just do it? It's, I just it's do what it. I do. I just do it. It's the way I start my day. I get up, I'm 69 years old. I get up and I say thank you because I could get up out of the bed and stand up straight. that's for real you know Yep. Mm -hmm. and then as we were saying it's like i set the coffee pot up the night before so i get that cup of coffee i have an oversized chair i get in my chair my cat gets on my lap and we get started daily reflection just for today one day at a time jesus calling i just i read and then i let go and Turn on some nice, quiet music, and I let God talk to me. And then I start my day. So how long do you spend doing that? I would say it's about 40, 45 minutes. Oh, that's a good long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I am a Quaker. Uh, Meditating is part of my life, you know, Um, just sitting and being quiet and letting God talk to me. It's easy for me. Yeah, yeah. I cannot not pray. You know, (laughs) it's it's like, yeah. 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 The, uh, well, I've struggled with it over the years, different times. And I've gone through a long spell now of about a year, year and a half, where without effort, I've been able to do my morning prayer and meditation. Mm-hmm. But there's been lots of times that I have struggled mightily with it. Just simply not remember to do it and then discover because I'm going to meetings regularly. Someone will be talking about it in a meeting. It's like, oh, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be doing a morning, morning prayer and meditation. <laughs> oh, so I'll, okay, I'm going to start today and start doing it again, and then I would fade off again. So, when I finally got into the habit, which was based on setting alarms on my phone telling me to do it, mm-hmm. that works. Um, uh, but uh, prayer for me is just natural. Um, I don't forget to do it. Um, I may not do it. Like, so traveling recently, I may not do it when I normally do, like hitting my knees when I crawl out of bed. It's well, kinda, traveling will mess me up. It's kind of hard to do up. in an RV. Yeah, uh, <laughs> traveling will mess me up. So Yeah, tra- exactly. And, but then I still, like, I remember to do it remember. in the shower or or something like that. Prayer for me just is is a, is, a, is an ongoing thing throughout the day. You know, I, I had a sponsee call me um, uh, a few hours before we started recording today, and, you know... As soon as we started talking, it was just a quick little prayer of God guide me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's a normal part for me. The meditation thing is the thing that I consistently don't do. That's the one, the, the listening part, where I uh, still have lots of room for growth yeah. on that one. I tell my sponsees that even if it's just a simple thank you, that is a prayer. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out, you know, third step, seventh step. I, listen, I'm getting old. I can't remember all that stuff. It has to come <laughs> from my heart. Yeah. And sometimes thank you is enough. Yeah. It's enough. because I have that connection with my higher power. No matter how short it is, he hears me. Well, I think it's important because to do it on a daily basis, and here's why, is because I like to think about it and think I'm doing it, and but unless I spend time actually doing it, 
I'm just up in my head. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not yeah. really connecting you, to something. Are else. you suggesting yeah. that this is not a program of knowledge, but rather one of action? <laughs> that, that's exactly <laughs> it. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> action, me, action, just, action. Let me write that down. Yeah, yeah. You're never going to hear that again. You should record that. Uh, <laughs> Well, I think I hear the flitter, flutter of owl wings. Flutter. Do we have a little tiny one? It's a little tiny owl with a tiny little message in its claw. I think that should be more like. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for our old timers question from a listener. Who you calling an old timer? I'm calling Roberta an old timer because you're just a whippersnapper at this point. You got that right. (laughs) (laughs) However, you still have a line to go. It's still one day at a time, no longer how long you've been sober. I agree. (laughs) Sonny. You can uh, you can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org. We have a question here from Tommy in Atlanta. Right. The first two weeks, people came up to me a lot. Now at three weeks, not so much. When will I start feeling better? When will I get it? You will start feeling better and you will get it when you start going up to people. This is a we program. The people that you met those first two weeks, go over to them and ask them, how are you doing today? That's how this program works. I love that. I think we need to insert the mic drop after that, Um, because that was perfect. (laughs) Don, there's no need for you to answer. (laughs) No, because I... No, I'm going to add on to that, Sam, because I'm loquacious, and uh, and so are you. That's why we're doing this podcast. I'm peripatacious. I'm leaving. Peripatetic. You're peripatetic. No, I'm making it... Peripatacious. I'm making it peripatacious now. (laughs) (laughs) I know that I was... uh, one time I was complaining about a meeting I went to out of town, and the person I was talking to, who I respect uh, in AA, said, well, you know, I was out of town one time, and no one came up and greeted me at all. So I got up and went around to each person sitting there and shook their hands and welcomed them to the meeting. <laughs> and she was a visitor, <laughs> which is really nervy. But I don't think I could do that. Wait, was her name Roberta? No, it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past you, Roberta. But what I liked about that was it's up to me. We've talked before, Sam, about uh, being uh, in a meeting where you know it might take a religious bent that was uh, that was too Christian, and you felt uncomfortable. Someone told you, why don't you share? Somebody might need to hear your perspective as well. It's like, and I felt like I've been in a meeting sometimes where God was not mentioned. And if we're talking all around it, but no one has mentioned it, well, maybe I'm supposed to bring up God and bring up my relationship with my higher power and how that works and bring that to the meeting. It's up to me to bring things to the meeting and Mm. to reach out my hand and say, if I'm feeling disconnected, I need to participate. I agree. 
Absolutely. It's, it's one of those things that, you know, certainly there are times when I need a meeting. And so when I go, I'm, I'm there to get something, <laughs> but I do have a responsibility. And this is something that you said that is a part of your recovery, especially today, uh, Roberta. And that is that you give back. I have to give at the meeting. And just like you said about, uh, my service sponsor, uh, sponsor, um, several years ago, smacking me upside the head when I was looking for a new home group and I wouldn't get one in where I was living because the meetings were too Jesus-y for me. And he was like, well, have you thought that maybe, just maybe, someone in that room might need to hear something that's not Jesus-y? And that's your responsibility. Yep, your job. And so I got a home group there and split the group. And Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I found out years later it wasn't because of me. I just don't have that you much power. You wanted to be the one who split the group. <laughs> um, but, but it is that thing of if something's missing, maybe it is my responsibility <laughs> to bring it. And so if I'm feeling not new, if I'm feeling not greeted, if I'm not feeling a part of this group of people then maybe it's my job to help others feel a part of. And, you know, I have experienced that. And it's not just at a meeting. I experienced that at parties, at, right. at other social gatherings and all that kind of stuff, where when I reach out to someone and help them feel comfortable, I instantly feel better. It works that way. It's a we thing. It works that way. The more I give, the more I receive. Yeah, It's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been to, uh, I remember one time I was going to a funeral and I didn't want to be there, but I, I had a sponsee whose mother had died. And so I was there to support him. Didn't know anyone there. And I pulled into the parking lot and I was going, I don't want to go in there. I don't want to do this. And I was going, oh, I'm just supposed to go in and see where I can be helpful. I'm not supposed to do anything else. There's nothing I need to do other than that. And so I said a prayer, I walked in, and I was found lots of ways to be helpful mm-hmm. all over the place. And that's happened to me at weddings, particularly, uh, for, well, no, I went to a wedding recently, and I felt, I started feeling out of sorts. There's lots of drinking going on. I went and sat down next to this old guy that was sitting on a bench by himself, and he started telling me these amazing stories from World War II. I got to know him. He was sitting there totally isolated, and he, I, I made a friend. And I felt connected to the party. I wasn't, I wasn't outside of it looking on. So it's reaching out my hand and, and being there. It's not the easiest thing to do three oh, no. weeks sober. Certainly not. Yeah. But it's also not the easiest thing to do you know, years sober for right. some of us. I When I joined the young people group here uh, in Greensboro as my home group, uh, I'd been going for a while and then was looking for a new home group and decided it was going to be them. And I informed them. It's like, y'all scare the crap out of me, but I'm going to stick around. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it took a while. And this was something I've encountered with several people recently in conversation who have been experiencing things that I've gone through. It's funny how that happens, right? Yes, yes. And, and they're like, I don't feel a part of. And one of the most basic things that I have found, and it's not easy, is that if I show up consistently to be around a group of people, whether it's a home group or it's people going out after the meeting or, or whatever. If I show up with those folks consistently, then I'm in on the conversation because 
their reference, that first time I'm out with them, they're talking about stuff that they've got history on. Right. When I stick around, I become part of that history. I'm in on the inside jokes. I know about what was being talked about last week and, and all that kind of stuff. I become a part of it. But it takes a period of being uncomfortable to get that history. Yeah. I've got a question for the old timer. Are you asking yourself? Oh, question, Roberta. Question number two. <laughs> this is something I think about from time to time, having been sober for a while. It's like I have certain stories that are the pivotal moments, epiphanies when I got sober, these things that happened to me that are the, the times when my thinking changed and I saw, oh, I can see how this works. So there are these stories that I have to share around that, but I've told these stories so many hundreds of times now, I feel like I just need to not share and shut up because I, everybody's heard the stories. Of, but it's the same story that I've got again and again, and I've got that with different things like working the four steps, certain things that happen. So there are pivotal moments that are the crucial things that happen to me, and I worry that uh, I just, everybody's heard it. I shouldn't keep sharing it. What are you going to do? What do you do? Let me ask you, are you talking about when you share at a speaker meeting or just share at your home group? Well, it, even the home group, it might come up. I mean, I might remember. Well, you know, when I share at my home group, depending upon how I'm feeling that particular day or what I'm going through, I may share one of those, what do you call them, pivotal stories? Yeah. Yeah. Um, after 32 years of sobriety, I have a lot of stories, you know. Uh, when I go to a meeting, I do a lot of listening mm. as opposed to sharing. Um, but if something is on my mind and I feel like I need to share it, I share it. I was taught that whatever I need to share, come out with it. Anything that I think is going to make me take a drink or think about a drink, come out with it. So I don't stop and think about um, what people say. I was told early on what people think of me and say about me is just none of my business. And that has helped me stay sober. Um, I've been here four years. For four years, I've gone through from my anniversary, August the 17th, through September the 30th. I am a raging lunatic. No matter how I try not to be, I'm a lunatic. And my home group knows that I'm going to come in and I'm going to talk about 9-11. I'm going to cry. I'm going to be evil and cranky. And they put up with me because... They love me. When I qualify, as we call it in New York, or speak at a speaker's meeting, before I speak, I always ask God to speak through me. And when I finish, I have no idea what I've said. Yeah. None. Yeah. Yeah. Because I let God have it. You know, that's all I can say about that. You know, in fact, I will, I'll take it a step further. I was at my home group and Women gossip a lot, you know. And two women were talking about a woman at a meeting that kept talking about the same thing. And I told them, you're gossiping, and she needs to talk about it. 
and mm. you need to listen. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I got two thoughts on what one is that uh, when I first got sober, there was one guy who always tended to say the same thing. And it was real fundamental. It was the fundamentals of AA. But you've got to let go. You've got how to let go. You, you've got to trust God. You've got to give it up. You've got to. And these certain things that he would say again and again every time that he shared. And then after about a month, it was like, this guy's saying the same thing all the time. Now, it was crucial when I first got it. Well, he's not saying it for me. He's saying it for the new people. Mm-hmm. And for himself. And for himself. And for himself, you're saying. Yep. Uh-huh. And for himself. He's saying it for the new time, newcomer, and he's saying it for himself. If I keep repeating it, I'm going to remember it, you know? Yeah. That's how I would see that. Uh, you're talking about being generous with the people in the meeting. <laughs> I have to be. Yeah. I have to be because it's a wee program, you know? We're a group of people that don't usually mix. So I have to be accepting because I want to be accepted. I was talking with the sponsee. I'm a Quaker as well. And we were talking about sharing in meetings. But he said, well, when do you share in a Quaker meeting? When you're moved. Rarely (laughs) share in a Quaker meeting. Very rarely. And when I do, I'm moved. Mm -hmm. And... I start quaking inside. Mm-hmm. It's like I have to speak, speak. at this time. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Quakers do. Mm-hmm. I share a lot more frequently in AA, not always to that level, but I've I've changed my focus to where I really do feel like I need to be really led to share. That's where I am too. In I, not every time, but often when I sit down in a meeting, and the topic has my interest, because in, it doesn't always have my interest, right. but it's got my interest. Um, I, I particularly make it a point, uh, just a, a little prayer of God, if you'd have me say something, give me the words. Exactly. Yeah, that type of thing. Yeah. Let God speak through me. That's it. That's it. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was my pleasure. It really was. It was fun. Good. Great. Roberta, thanks for being here. Not a problem. Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Would you like to join a free anonymous online AA group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. 